0: Yeehaw, hello and howdy. Thank you for joining us on the Canon Stats Podcast, the weekly Arsenal Analytics podcast. I am Scott Willis, and always I am Joan joined
1: by my co host Adam Bogie. Adam,
0: happy one year anniversary to Canon Stats. How you doing?
1: Happy, yeah. I feel like I should have had like a like a blower or something, the party hat. Uh it's good. It's you, maybe I can one add one a set,
0: uh add a sound effect in post production doing something like that, but yeah. I don't know if I'm actually gonna do that. So we'll see.
1: Put an applause track here. Um, yeah. it's...
0: And the the blowing and the the confetti going and those kinds of sounds, uh, yeah. It's been a it's been a year. It's been a, it's a good been... fun year.
1: Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We've had we've had so much good like content and so many good discussions. I think about Arsenal. Mm-hmm. We've had a full like two transfer windows to analyze a lot of players that we've scouted. It's uh, yeah, and I'm just feeling a lot of support from from everybody. Um, you know, on Twitter and. And on the blog too, I, it's when you, when you reminded me that it was a year, I was actually like a little bit taken aback. Like, wow, that went fast. So here's to, here's to year two.
0: Yeah. And I think we got a lot of good stuff kind of planned. And I think that it's the, the idea is to continue to build on what we did in that first year. I was surprised, like looking back at how much we had actually posted. I think it was like almost 290 posts in a year. Yeah. Uh, so averaging like five to six a week which is quite impressive. Um, Pretty close to daily. Yeah, pretty close to daily. Um, I I was still very happy with the amount that we're able to to keep free for everybody. Um, And that is due to the the people that do support us. And uh, that is the goal, is to try to make as much free as possible um, because we want as many people to be able to read it. But that is only because people do support us. So um, thank you for everybody that does. Even if you're just a subscriber, listener, being able to do all that, we still obviously appreciate you. And we're glad you're here. Um, we have a very full um, slate of things, even though it is an international break, and sometimes that can be <laughs> tough to be able to create content over. But the the gods have shown upon us with mm-hmm. lots of things to be able to talk about. Um, I think we'll talk about the the big news that broke today this morning. As I was waking up, um, I saw everybody talking about Everton, and I was like, "Oh, that's interesting." Um, but they yeah. have been given a ten point deduction for the, let's see, I, I have it here. An independent commission has imposed with immediate effect a deduction of 10 points on Everton FC for a breach of the Premier League's profitability and sustainability rules, um, also known as FFP, even though that is the, the European equivalent. So, yeah, yeah that's a uh, big news. What was your, I guess, your initial reaction to hearing that?
1: Well, I mean, you know, I think anybody who follows the Premier League to any reasonable level... Um, they're not exactly the first club that pops into your mind when you think about potential FNP breakers or uh, <laughs> yeah. FFP breakers, PNS, I should say. Um, so it's you know it's kind of interesting. It, it, there, I think there's just so many questions at this point. Um, the the extent to which they broke these rules was not exactly dramatic. Um, and, yeah, and so I, I'm reading
0: here. Yeah. So you're allowed to <clears throat> lose up to 105 million pounds over a three-year period and mm-hmm. they lost
1: 124.5 million pounds. So they're basically about a, a solid 20 there over, uh, what they're allowed to. And, and, you know, I mean, obviously that's a lot of money. Um, but I think that, you know, the other cases that we'll, we'll get into here, uh, you know, they're, they're much more wide ranging, um, I think maybe, maybe uh, you could, you could say without, you know, getting too far into speculation that like the, the actions and the intent behind the actions in the other cases are more malicious mm-hmm. uh more, more devious. Uh, so it's, it's, it feels like a big penalty. Um, it feels uh, at least compared to, to what I was kind of thinking might happen in the other cases it, it's, you know, it, I mean, it's pretty good timing for Everton, to be honest. The bottom is pretty low this season. And I think that, you know, they're they were what, 12th, I think, without the penalty. Um, so they're looking. But now they're looking at dropping right into the relegation zone without 10 points. I think they're like 14 so far. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, they're they're also probably good enough to be more than 10 points clear uh, on their own. So, um, yeah, I think. I, I think the 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 less interesting part of it is going to be what is the impact of this on Everton because your mind snaps right to oh, are they going to get relegated because of this? And uh, but the more interesting thing is is what uh, we were talking about before we started recording the the precedent. What does this mean for the Premier League going forward?
0: Yeah, no, I think that is right. So I think the this isn't a, a massive surprise. Um, I know there's been some kind of rumors coming out that it was going to be somewhere in the, the range of 12 points. So mm-hmm. this ends up being slightly lower than some of the the initial reports they're being able to say but it is slightly surprising um, you know because I think there was a lot of options that were available to this independent Commission um, they could have done a fine they could have done transfer by um, bans or other kinds of um, limits to the roster um, mm-hmm. being able to do that um, and they went with a, a pretty strong one here which um, I'm not Mad about. Um, I think that you know if, if you want to be able to have these kinds of rules, um, I, I don't think a fine is nearly enough. Um, no. If a if, a, if a, yeah if a team is comfortable breaking the rules by losing more money, fining them doesn't really seem to. Be an incentive to stop doing that. So it seems like it should be directly um, tied to the advantage that they're able to do. So I think you know uh, roster limitations, points deductions, you know, sporting Mm. kind of things are absolutely the right call here. Um, But it is yeah, interesting. It it does seem like a lot, um, especially considering right they they seem to be more cooperative than some of the other people. You know, the Manchester Cities, the Chelsea's of the world, the teams that have kind of uh, obfuscated their previous, uh, dealings.
1: Yeah. And their, uh, Everton statement today, you know, the, the penultimate paragraph there, um, yes. where they're saying, you know, they're, they'll be watching with, with, uh, attention to see what happens in some of the other cases that, you know, I, I wonder if, is that, is that passive aggression or is that like a little <laughs> Easter egg? I kind of hope it's the latter. Um, because yeah, I mean, listen, if you, if you are, Created or if you're committing this level of offense and you're being relatively cooperative and you get 10 points, uh, 10 points taken away. I know that um, there was a piece, I I forget which publication it is. I always keep mixing up the English publications, but I think maybe Time Sport um, with some speculation that if this is what Everton got, could Chelsea and Manchester City maybe like, is this a cause for concern for them? Could this be potentially really bad? Uh, mm-hmm. And I was, I was throwing around the R word, so um, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So the the actual yeah. So they say the club will also monitor with great interest the decisions made in other cases concerning the premier the Premier League's profit and sustainability rules. That is a yeah an interesting wording to be able to to absolutely throw in there. Um, they also you know kind of talked about that you know they were open and transparent in the information provided. So I think they were trying to say that like you know hey we tried to cooperate here. Why are you throwing the the book at us? I think there's some fairness. To that, um, I was reading, I think it's uh, from Swiss Ramble, he had a, a thread today kind of talking about that. And so, yeah, why they might have been uh, open and transparent. It did seem like they were certainly pushing the boundaries of some of the allowable items, especially during the COVID period.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They wrote off a lot of things as, you know, kind of uh, special and above and beyond, um, more than any other clubs. And I think that they certainly... Uh, broke the rules with the, their ownership, and you know it—it's it, really hurting them now because their owner is sanctioned by the the UK government, um, even though he wasn't the the official owner. Um, so the, the yeah Uzmanov, the, the former, former Arsenal, Arsenal this rate. is this is what yeah, oh, yeah, the what many Arsenal fans wanted from Arsenal, and I, I'm, I'm yeah. actually kind of glad that this is not the case that in the path that Arsenal ended up going down.
1: Yeah, I may have dodged a bullet there, as we like to say as Arsenal fans, usually, usually we're talking about that with transfers, but, um, yeah, ownership bullet, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting to me, um, you know, just like, yeah, I just, I kind of lost track of what I was going to say, but, um, it's, it's, it's a really interesting situation, uh, you know, Everton, yeah, they, you know, they kind of, in some of their approach, um. just, it seemed like a little reckless or, or careless. Um, you know, and I've read, I've, with regard to Chelsea, like I've read before that, um, you know, maybe, and I think it was more speculative. I don't know if anybody's ever like put this on the record from his perspective, but, you know, maybe pitching his financial approach over the past couple seasons, um, when it comes to FFP and potential penalties and things like that, like looking at that as more of like a luxury tax, Mm uh, which you know, if you're unfamiliar with American sports, you know salary caps pay if you if you're over the salary cap, you have to pay extra money to the league if you're over the salary cap repeated it, it gets even worse um, but some some teams and clubs like don't care they can yeah. just pay it um and so like there's some thought that maybe that was Todd Bowley's idea here, but um given how, Everton are being penalized for doing this, it makes you definitely maybe uh, sit up and say, well, you know, is that really going to turn out the way, Todd, that you think or that you were thinking? Um, Because this seems pretty hefty. Uh, And he's, you know, if he doesn't get into Europe, I think at least I think that's another Swiss Ramble Ramble, uh, point. But if he doesn't get into Europe, um, he's pretty far out in front of his skis. So
0: Yeah, it's a, I think that's a, before we switch over to that, um, I I do want to kind of think about like, what is the impact for this season? So yeah, Everton were in 14th place with, or was it 14th place with 14 points. So now this would drop them to, uh, tied for last only ahead on goal difference ahead of Burnley with four points. Mm -hmm. Um, I I still rate them as a fairly strong team. Um, When I was looking at this, I think they still kind of rate out as, let me actually tell you exactly where I have them, as the 11th um, or 12th best team overall. Um, So still solidly kind of mid-table. It'll be really interesting to kind of see, like, is this enough to push them into the relegation fight. I think it might still push them into a relegation fight, but as maybe like the, the fifth, you know, most likely to go down. So maybe, yeah, you you think about there, there's four, I think bad teams right now, Bournemouth, Burnley, Luton, Sheffield. Mm -hmm. So maybe they're now the fifth option there. Um, You know, just kind of beating out on Fulham.
1: Yeah. I mean, there there are definitely more than three uh, solid candidates for relegation. I think even, even you could even probably throw in some clubs like wolves into that conversation who I think you know the quality of the play has just gone way down despite you know them pulling off really handy results for arsenal a couple different times this season um yeah i i honestly if i were an everton fan i would i would worry about it until they escape the drop zone and then and then it's basically over in my opinion yeah. i think i think even even uh, everton when they've when they've not gotten the results this season um like I think Fulham was one of the games where I think they peppered burned to like four XG or something like that and scored once or maybe not even at all. And they ended up losing that uh, match. So it's, you know, it's uh, it's, I, I guess they're, they're not exactly the club I'd be worried about sticking on that for, I'd be far more worried about Burnley not getting to 10 than Everton. You know what I mean? So um, great season, great season to, to pick up a 10 point penalty from the mid table for sure. And, and, you know, if Chelsea or city get a penalty this season too, I mean, same, same logic applies, I guess, Chelsea's right around Everton on the table. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, there, it'll be really interesting to see, um, what kind of experience it is playing at Goodison park for the rest of the season. Um, mm-hmm. Sean Dyche is such a great, like siege manager already. Um, and now you give him like, a. I don't know, potentially, potentially like a little bit of motivation for his guys. Um, they seemed to play with a lot of motivation last season after it was Lampard, wasn't it? Who got sacked and they brought in Dyson that that seemed to kind of light a fire under their under their rears. So it's mm-hmm. yeah, I, but I'm not really I really would not be too terribly worried about them going down.
0: Yeah, I haven't run the the latest simulation yet with them getting this 10 point deduction. But before this, I had them at 47 points for the season. So minus 10, that brings them to 37. Um, that generally is right on the cusp of where safety is. Um, this year, it's probably uh, better. So I, let me see what I, I have 17th place being um, overall this year. Um, and let's see you need to get to basically uh, 32 points to kind of guarantee safety. So I have uh, a last place with averaging about 18 points, 19th at 23 and 18th points at 28 points. So if you're above 28, 30, you're generally going to be safe. So if they get into that 37 point range, they're Mm -hmm. probably going to be okay. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, last, last season, that would have been a bigger question, but not, not it, so much.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think the other interesting thing is, like, I was thinking about this, and it's like, what is the actual effect? Because I, I think you could talk me into it being either way, like, right? It's like, this just solidifies the team. It gives them something to, like, rally behind, you know, the siege mentality. Everybody's against us. Like, we have to, like, all, like, group together. But I think there is also a world where, like, if they lose, like, the next two or three games where... There's that potential for panic to set in um, mm-hmm. a little bit of where it becomes like uh, uh, the, the the pressure and it's, you start getting like a, a doom spiral kind of working to it where eventually mm-hmm. it just kind of becomes too much of a, a thing to overcome. And, you know, I think it'll be interesting. It's an interesting thought experiment to, to try to think through, like, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Is this a neutral thing? Is this I, I think ultimately I land on it's uh, ambiguous and. There's no good way to quantify it.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's not, I guess I wouldn't say it's as if they've been playing, uh, you know, below expectations per se. Um, They've had a couple of results not go their way, but I think generally like the, the quality of the play and like the underlying, you know, metrics and everything show that they're, they're doing pretty well. So, um, you know, but they don't have to worry about losing. Uh, the next two or three because they play Manchester United right after the break. So they'll be fine.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, another club that's in a great situation. Um, so yeah, let's, let's talk about, I think the, the bigger um, picture. So Chelsea city, both kind of staring at similar kinds of things. Um, city have been at this at a, at longer, you know, they have their pending 115 plus charges that seem to be continually um dragging on and Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like there's an end in sight there um chelsea have now i think what is it self-reported some uh irregular irregularities that they found from the roman abramovich era then there was the stuff that came out of the cyprus uh banking data leak that shows some uh under the table kind of payments and uh routing of stuff. So Chelsea, which is absolutely surprised everybody or uh, a club that perhaps did things um, on the other line or there's other side of the line of uh, the rules. So shocker. Yeah. Right. Like nobody, nobody would have ever thought that they might've done that. Mm. And the premier league absolutely is going to be surprised to, to find all of this. Does this set, I mean, I think this sets the precedent, right? That this is something serious, but is this the, we're only going to do point deductions or do you think there's other stuff on the table for some of these other clubs?
1: Well, that's the question, right? I mean, everybody made the joke about, you know, what's, what's 10 million times a hundred or 10 points times 115, right? Yeah. You obviously, you can't take a thousand points away from city. Um, but what can you do? I mean, you can, you can relegate them. You can kick them out of the premier league. You could, uh, you could take away enough points to, to guarantee that happens. um, you know, kind of naturally you could, you could make a, you know, I think, I think the effectiveness of a transfer ban, um, it's kind of one of those things where I, I don't know that really banning them for say like a window or a one season, two windows necessarily corrects anything really. Uh, so you might have to start looking at longer term now, you know, maybe that's why Todd bully has built up that's a spot of, of 20, you know, 2019 year olds, um, in reserve so that he can withstand that. But, uh, yeah, it's you, I, I got, I just, if, if, uh, so I think Chelsea will happen first because of just like the nature of how these things have been discovered and, and, um, you know, the level of less litigious, right? Like cities
0: seem like they're going to fight this tooth and nail every single step of the way, trying to just basically delay this from ever happening.
1: Right. And, and Chelsea seem more like, like they're participating in it. I don't know if they were doing that, like trying to escape maybe some consequences a little bit, but um, you know, I, I just think it's, it's gotta go beyond. I mean, I, I would love to see points deduction be part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think, I do think that you need to go another step further too. Uh, whether that's a fine. I mean, it would have to be pretty significant fine to really make an impact. Um so I guess I would prefer, you know, bands, uh, maybe European bands. I know, I know that the nature of, uh, of Juventus' case is a little bit different. And, you know, they faced punishment from FIFA or UEFA. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't know if UEFA was ready to punish Chelsea, but it's certainly, you know, that would, be, that would definitely be hitting them where it hurts to take them out of the Champions League or out of the Europa League uh, for the foreseeable future.
0: Hmm. I think the only other question that I have that's kind of going on is too, is like, well, what do you do with the things that they won by cheating? Like, how do you handle that? Like, cause I don't think you just automatically, you know, promote that team that came in second place to the title winner. Like no. to me, like that doesn't feel like it's the the right choice because they didn't win. Like, right. And then it's like, you don't know what happens in the absence of the cheating. Um, I, I kind of like, feel again like this is absolutely my uh perspective of you know being in america where you know we have like you know college football um where when somebody cheats and does something like that what they do is they just vacate the results and nobody won won. um i think that also is kind of a to me it's a poetic um kind of a stain on the premier league because anybody with any sort of common sense like knew or at least suspected like yeah you maybe didn't like you can't provably know it but anybody with common sense suspected that there was uh, nefarious things happening with both of these teams over the last, you know, decade, two decades yeah. of what they're doing. So it, it might be kind of a, a nice reminder to go back and look at the official rule book and basically have, uh, you know, over the last decade, you'd have just two Premier League winners um, out of 10, which is you know kind of scary. It would be just the, the yeah. Leicester and Liverpool who have, uh, you know, rightfully Sorry. won the Premier League.
1: Well, scary, but I mean, you know, it's, I think, I think it's a good thing for the premier league to keep in mind because when, you know uh, not, you know, not to get too far down like a Newcastle rabbit hole, but when Newcastle's ownership was going bef- for review before the premier league, it was like, what are you even going to review? Because if all you have to do is open your eyes and see that, no, you should not allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, So it's, you know, it would be nice if, uh, the fact that you know a potentially a potentially vacated titles for only two clubs creates an an eight year eight years out of ten gap where nobody has won the league like I would hope that that would serve as a strong lesson like for reviewing these these uh buyers when they come in maybe raising the standards raising the like the I don't know maybe giving them a, a stronger burden of proof in some of this um because yeah I mean, you can't tell me that like when Sheik Mansour came in and said, I'm going to buy Manchester city. Everybody's like, Oh yeah. seems like a great guy with no questions about him whatsoever. Um, oh yeah. He says he's not connected to the government. I mean, we must, that must be true. Um, and you know, exact same thing for PIF. So I, it's got, it kind of feels but Adam,
0: they got, they got legally binding assurances that the PIF um, is not associated with the, the Saudi government.
1: I'm sure they did. And I'm sure that Newcastle would only be giving uh, I'm sure that Newcastle would only be giving a great deal on a Ruben Neves loan, and that's why we're talking about it in the first place, not just because Al-Halal, you know, is buddies with them, or because you know they share ownership. Um, the, I, I just I I hope on some on some level the league just like realizes like you guys made this bed, now you got, now it's time to lie in it. Uh, And I think, honestly, I mean, that's part of what keeps me in kind of a cynical point of view when it comes to the Chelsea in the city thing, because on some level, I think if you if you punish them for their wrongdoings, you're kind of admitting like, you know what, my bad. These guys shouldn't have been here in the first place. Uh, So I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens. It's just the, the crappy thing about this is that it happens so far after the fact Uh, with both of these clubs, that things have been so insurmountably changed at this point. Even if City had spent the last, let's just say, five to ten years doing everything completely according to the rules, if they did have an era, a five to six year era, where they were consistently breaking rules and building up a strong platform because of that, I mean, at the end of the day, they still have the platform. And same thing with Chelsea. Every like So much of the advantage that they've gained will have been... Uh, kind of accumulated during those Roman Abramovich years. So, yep. what does punishing going forward really correct if when they come out of the punishment, they're the same Chelsea that he built?
0: Exactly. Thank right. There's a, the, the flywheel that kind of happens with success and it, you know, success begets more success. And, you know, as you become a, a you know, a better team, you actually can get real sponsors. You can actually um, attract more revenue and be able to do these kinds of things. You get into the the UEFA competitions and you get the extra prize money that comes with these things. And so it's like uh, the, the reason that you cheat is not just because, you know, it's a, uh, you know, you, you do that to get the initial thing, but it also sets it up so you don't have to cheat in the future. And I think that, you know, you could actually probably make a fairly reasonable, you know, argument that, you know, maybe City are complying with the rules right now because they have become, you know, the best team in the world. And there are probably legitimate companies that want to sponsor and associate themselves with the best team in the world from being able to do it. But it's like, would they have been able to do that following the rules initially? And I would be yeah. very skeptical of being able to do it. And I think that there needs to be that punishment to make it so like, yeah, you, you got here in a bad way. And yeah, this is going to be a very harsh punishment to you know make it so other people don't want to or you don't have that incentive to be able to do it. Um, yeah, it's a, a a tough, interesting matter, and it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I think there's an, even going back to Everton, right? So they have their new owners that are kind of coming in, the seven 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 partners, and it's a, a good test of will the Premier League actually stand up to you know what the actual ownership you know clauses is. Is are they a a good owner um, for this team? And, you know, by all accounts, uh, they are very shady people with um, questionable um, business practices. Um, There's a a report, I think, in in Semaphore that came out the other day talking about the use of their... So they're an insurance company and the use of money that's supposed to be kind of uh, set away for, you know, safe kind of assets and be able to do that. And they're playing around with doing those kinds of things to to fund a lot of the, the stuff that they do. And it's like is the premier league going to actually step in and say no, like, and, and why now, right? You have already let Mm -hmm. through all of these other companies, you know, other teams that have equally shady people and being able to do it. So yeah, yeah, the premier league has put themselves in a bad spot.
1: Yes, they have (laughs) (laughs) maybe, maybe an irreversibly bad spot. To be honest, it might be, I mean, even, I I think there'll be an interesting long-term sort of like uh uh like case study to to be gleaned from all of this when it's all said and done where we'll have to ask like after after they've been punished if they get punished at all, where are Chelsea on the other side of that tunnel, where are city? And will it still have been worth it? Because I think there's a chance that yeah, it's still it still was worth it. We're still Manchester City. We just served our three year punishment and now we're still Manchester City. So yeah, we basically got away with it.
0: Yep. No. All right. Let's let's switch focus here to another crisis. Um, this one in Brazil. But um, let's we'll, we'll start with yeah. some good news. Um, so uh, Gabriel Martinelli scores his first uh, pr- uh, goal for Brazil. Um, it was a pretty nicely taken um, yeah. goal there, uh, with him kind of looking uh, Benzema esque, um, being able to kind of jump onto a ball in the box and
1: uh, slot it home nicely. So yeah, Gabriel Martinelli looking good. Yeah, I mean, that was, I mean, you know, a lot of credit to Vinicius too for that play because that was like just a really beautiful, um, really well-coordinated like two-man back and forth. Mm -hmm. Like I think they each passed to each other twice. Um, And yeah, the Martinelli kind of like sliding kick to finish it off. It was just, it was a goal that happened so quickly in that game um, that you were like, okay, maybe, maybe this is like Brazil really coming out to... So you know, crack some skulls, but that obviously isn't how it went. Uh, <laughs> not at all. You know, I, I, Colombia. I mean, they have they have talented players, but I um, and you know they're they were at the World Cup and everything. They're not like they're not scrubs. They're seventeenth in the FIFA rank, but um, you know, I think that Brazilian fans still expected their guys to take care of business in that game. Um, it was an interesting lineup, though, for sure.
0: Yeah. And I, I think the biggest thing is the concern probably with the the defense here. Um, they had a lot of the ball, but could not stop Columbia from getting shots off. Um, I was, I was yeah. shocked to see the, the stat line kind of coming out of this. It's a uh, 23 shots allowed, which is just a pretty high astronomical number um of mm-hmm. that it was 1.6 expected goals two big chances so like brazil you know kind of matched them on the xg but like allowing 23 shots as brazil is still just uh, crazy um and that's also kind of turning to where uh, one of arsenal's players is getting some side eye type glances um gabrielle not getting a lot of love right now
1: yeah. i mean i uh... <laughs> I, I posted about this on Twitter last night. I, I do not rate the sort of like, let's call it the Brazilian consensus about players. Um, you know, they've been, they've been incredibly slow to come around on Martinelli, despite him literally tying the all time Brazilian goal scoring record. Unless you count Diego Costa, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Um, he plays for Spain. So is he really Brazilian? Brazilian you? national. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jorginho plays for Italy. He's Brazilian, right? Um, but yeah, so they're so slow to come around on him. I think the way, you know, just in general, the way they've treated Gabriel Jesus, even before he played for Arsenal is just kind of gross. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, it's largely not his fault. Um, but, you know, I just, you know, I, I joked around about this. I remember in 2022, I, I sent a message to uh, a Brazilian kid who had stayed with our family when he was an exchange student. I just said, hey, you know. Uh who's better, Richarlison or Gabriel Jesus? Because Richarlison had just signed with Tottenham and Jesus had just signed with Arsenal, and, and he said Richarlison, and I, and I just was like, No, that's so <laughs> wrong. Um, even like everything, even before they were at their respective clubs, is very clear who was better uh in my book, anyway. So yeah, but to to the point that you started this with, uh Gabriel has gotten so much crap. Um, like just a seemingly disproportionate amount, I would say, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you might expect if anything, uh, when you give up 23 shots, your captain being one of your defenders might maybe get a little bit harder of a time. Uh, that would be Marquinhos, the other center back. But I mean, like, look at, look at who they played at at fullback. They played Emerson Royale, who is Royale with cheese. Can you even, uh, can you even classify him as a premier league starter? I think without injuries, no, and then you've got Renan Lodi on the other side. If, you know, what is he even up to these days? Is he still with, like, he was at Nottingham Forest last season? I it, think so was, it
0: says he's playing with Marseille right now. Um, it looks like he had a pretty poor overall game there. Yeah, so, not, not one to, to give no. a lot of help there to, to Gabriel on his side. Both
1: of the fullbacks got consistently cooked because uh, there was Luis Diaz, was just, like, eating Royale for lunch, like, the entire game. So I just like I don't know what needs to happen with Brazil. I know that their new coach Fernando Diniz has got kind of like this like free flowing, positionless football, uh, less discipline, more expressionism kind of a style, mm-hmm. uh, and that that is exciting on paper um, until you start giving up twenty three shots in a game and losing to to countries that you're supposed to beat and playing guys like Andre who's still in the Brazilian league and next to Bruno in midfield and getting completely overrun all game. Uh, Yeah. It's just, I think, I think it's, it's a case of misplaced blame. Not that, not that Gabriel necessarily had like a, like, wow, he was really good. Yeah. But you, it would be, it would be kind of myopic to say, Oh, Gabriel, if, if we had thrown, like there was one big Brazilian guy account that was like, Get this I forget the kid's name, but get this nineteen year old who plays for Sao Paulo into the national team. He'll be the left center back. He's way better. I'm like, are you sure about that? because <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that he could even like make a squad in the Premier League right now. Let far far from or let alone like being a top two or three Premier League left center left center back.
0: Yeah. I, think so, well is. I, I I agree with you, right? Especially as a, a partnership with Saliba. Um, I think they really you know, dovetail together quite nicely, uh, being able to do that. So this does bring Brazil to another um, big quarter or just so a qualifying match. So they have uh, Argentina coming up here. And that is the one that uh, Gabriel Jesus has been thought to be targeting to try to come back to where do you come down here on uh, the, the FA being able to kind of call up him uh, being able to like do it kind of against Arsenal's wishes
1: here? Well, it's, it's a little more complex, I think, than, than it sometimes gets made out to be, let's say in online forums. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's really, it's, it's a, it's a tough position for a player to be in. I think Mm -hmm. that, uh particularly when you're in in the like the neighborhood that Gabriel Jesus is with Brazil where it's a huge honor to be part of that national team like it's a really 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 big deal in Brazil to be on that national team they they dream of that before they dream of club glory you know in that country in particular and um he's not i, I would I just wouldn't say regardless of who the managers he's not an automatic selection Nope. Um, like, I just don't think you can classify him as that for Brazil. Like there are 10 th- 10 different things you could do, uh, to, to make that less sure. So when he kind of, when you look at those two things and you say, okay, obviously it's going to be very important for him to stay in the good graces of like the, of the, the, the FA there, uh, and the manager who's running the team. Um, but also he probably just wants to play. I mean, Brazil care a lot about beating Argentina, um, and, and I guess the one big question that that I guess I don't feel like I have a good grasp on is, let's say hypothetically we we're not in an international break, um, but Arsenal had a game coming up this weekend. Would he have been to the point where he could have a fitness test and potentially get into that squad? Uh, because I think the answer to that might be that, yeah, he, he would be up for selection this weekend if Arsenal were playing. And in that case, um, you know, I guess I kind of sympathize with the FA. They're saying, hey, this is a player that we need. This is a really important game for us. We want him to come uh, as much as I would love him to like sit on the couch and, you know, get the, get and all put, the put speed up and, and, and rest and, for
0: Brentford on the 25th. Right. We, that's our, our dream, but it's, it's
1: not the reality. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge I'm very much a club first fan, but yeah. Um, I I guess I can understand. It's a little different for me than somebody like Martin Odegaard, where I think he could like spit in the face of the head coach's wife and he would still have to call him up. Um, He's like one of the two best players for that national team. So uh, maybe the best player, depending on your point of view. Um, So yeah, it's just, it's tough for me to get too down on some of the drama that was going around. I think maybe it was a little sensationalized to be honest.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess my, my thought is still, it feels weird, um, like just the, the rules that are kind of like there with the, the FAs, like it's almost like a, an ownership kind of structure. Like if you've ever like looked at like the actual kind of like regulation. So it's like, you know, when like a player retires from international football, they can't really retire. It's more of a gentleman's agreement that the international team just kind of agrees to stop calling them up. Um, Because there's nothing in there that says that they can't do it. Um, And like if you refuse a call up, that's where FIFA can actually come in and stop you then from playing from your for your actual club team. Um, So it's like kind of like that weird kind of stuff that kind of feels a little bit icky to me um, with those kinds of things.
1: Didn't wasn't there? I feel like was it over covid in COVID times, didn't uh, I think a club actually got some punishment for not allowing their players to join up with the national team? I Potentially,
0: I, I I don't know for certain, but I, I I know that is within the you know FIFA's and the you know the regulating bodies like powers. Like if you don't release a player and like somebody actually goes and fights it, like they can basically make them not available to play their club sport as well. And I always found that as a, a little bit weird, right? Cause it's like, you think about who plays the players like the most and like who like has the most, I guess, the kind of like interest there. And then even if a player doesn't want to be able to play, it, I think there's been some of this um, with some of like the the Spanish national um, team for the, the women where, you know, they do not want to play because they don't feel like the the treatment is good. And there's been, you know, kind of some some threats there about, you know, what they can do to kind of withhold them from being able to do things in their their club sport. And it just kind of feels weird. So yeah. I think that's a, a separate from what Jesus is dealing with but just kind of my ickiness that I have
1: with some of the international sport. It is separate, but uh yeah, so what I was thinking of is in 2011 this was also Brazil. Um City, Liverpool, Chelsea and Manchester United all blocked their Brazilian players from joining up with the side into 2021. So that did include Gabriel Jesus. Um and they were they were suspended for the for the next premier league game as a consequence of that. So that was Allison, Ederson, Fabinho, Tiago Silva, Firmino, Richarlison, Gabriel Jesus. So there's your, there's your memory of the day, but I agree with you though. It does feel, it does feel strange that the national side representation is so compulsory Mm -hmm. um, where you feel like it should be, it should be very optional, right? It should be more about like, you know, what's the coach going to think of me if I don't come not like what's FIFA going to do to me? Um,
0: exactly, right. Because I mean, I think and and for most people, like the distinction is probably moot, because it is a huge honor to be able to play for your country. And like, especially for, you know, I think for almost all players, like it is like something that they strive and they dream of being able to do, um, especially being able to play in some of these big tournaments and represent your country. Like, I don't think there would be a lot of situations where players would turn down um, being able to do it, but it might be for some of these friendlies that kind of happen where it really does feel like this is just a a money-making exercise. And, you know, like maybe I don't actually care about this. Um, And I would rather, you know, prioritize, you know, being, you know, healthier rested for my club, you know, team to be able to do it. Um, yeah, so it's always just a, a weird thing that's kind of uh, sat on the the side of my head while I've seen some of these things, and the international break always brings it out of me. Where yeah. I, I don't care for an international break, and I don't like the kind of a uh, compulsory type of force. I like that the you yeah you know put that word in there. It's a, a good one.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think. As Arsenal fans, we we are naturally going to have a little bit of a victim complex, and a little bit of like a conspiracy complex going on. So, like you see, you read that Rodri pulled out of Spain's match um, because he felt discomfort. Yeah, and I think I think let's let's just say that that was Declan Rice, and he pulled out of England's match because he felt discomfort. We would initially we would like immediately go to, oh god, is he going to yeah, miss? Freaked out. Yeah, <laughs> is he, how long <laughs> is he out? Yeah, uh, has he has he completely like is his career ending? Um, but with Rodri, we're like, oh, this is like this is gamesmanship city. just like want him to rest. That is Same totally thing true. With Holland, like I've barely seen any panic about Holland leaving a game injured. And he's, you know, he's a, like a Ballon d'Or top fiver. Uh, with so, an injury history that is not spectacular. No, I mean, he's he he has missed like 20 game stretches before. So um a couple times i think so it's it's just interesting how the psychology works a little bit there um you know i don't know i don't know what, i think that's what i'm trying to say i don't know that i can expand beyond that point
0: no i think it's a good one right because yeah when, when other teams do because we all say like oh other teams get away with you know faking injuries or being able to pull things out and you know it's always different where you feel like well i think it's one because you know more about your own team and you kind of feel those kind of things but it's an interesting perspective all right. Um, we'll we'll do a little bit of housekeeping. Um, so the show is supported by our much appreciated premium subscribers. Um, if you do subscribe, you do get at least five additional articles per month. Um, we did just have some really good stuff come out with uh, player rankings, being able to to look into those. Um, I had some stuff on Kai Havertz and where his uh, transfer kind of fits. Um, Inside, kind of looking back now at the the quarter season mark, um, you'll get additional premium podcasts and also our everlasting gratitude and love. So thank you to all of our premium subscribers. Um, Now we're going to switch to something that everybody is always interested in, and that's transfers. So I did give you a slight primer on the question that I want to start us off with to lead this discussion. And it is, if you had to sell one player to fund Arsenal's business for the coming uh, winter, uh, who would you be willing to sell? Um, And and then we'll, we'll kind of talk about priority of that. So if you had to pick one player to kind of fund stuff, who's it going to be?
1: Well, it's gotta be, it's gotta be like, I think you have to look at the, the answer to that question holistically, because I think if you were, if you were looking at, okay, who's the player that you could sell, who's not in the first team, and who could raise the most money potentially? I, I think I think you still need the right conditions for it to happen, mm-hmm. for it to be Aaron Ramsdale. But <laughs> I think that I think that the question, if it, if it were Aaron Ramsdale, would be like, okay, well, who's the backup keeper for the rest of the season? Um, and so you'd have some work to do on the back end with him. Mm-hmm. Um, But so for me, I think, I think that shifts it. So I would, I would want a player who would not necessarily need a lot of replacement considering that the whole purpose of selling is to buy someone in a different position. Um, And I I just have to go with Emile Smith row. I think, you know, the injury history, even when fit does not seem to be hugely impactful lately um, and I know that, you know, people have different opinions about that, but it's been a long time in my opinion, since I've been like, Oh, Smith row changed that game completely. Oh, that, you know, that wouldn't have happened without Smith row. Um, I think he's still young enough where maybe there's a 20 million pound buyer, 30 million pound buyer out there, um, which I'm not sure that you could find for, uh, someone on a larger contract, like a couple of backup attackers that Arsenal have, uh, so yeah, and I think I think the depth in the midfield being what it is, and him already having kind of a blocked pathway to playing time, I mean, it just it just seems to make the most sense to me. Yeah, and he's also homegrown, which means that the FFP implications would be more positive.
0: Yeah, so I would also have him on my list as a player that I'd be willing to sell. I, I would have the question like, is there going to be enough to fund what the team might want to be able to do? Um, I, I think that's a an interesting one where. I don't think there is a good easy question or answer for it Um, because I think you kind of alluded to Eddie and Kedia and like, yeah, I would be willing to sell him to bring in someone else. But I think that again goes to like, would selling him be enough to bring in a next player and maybe probably not Um, again, right. It's he's a homegrown. So it's like pure profit from an accounting perspective. So, but it's still like you, you need probably it to be, 15 20 million to kind of like make the money kind of work um the other player that was kind of on my list um might be you know thomas party um that would be the only thing is like are there suitors out there for him because i think he's Mm -hmm. of enough quality that people would want him his age and contract demands probably make it so he doesn't have a giant be potentially attached to him but you know maybe there is a you know a saudi club that wants to do it if yes because i know there's the, the the italy links but italy is like always crying poverty um when they try to go to buy people and like i think rightly so if you look at the finances of any of the italian clubs so mm-hmm. like i think those are kind of my three guys that i would be willing to sell to be able to to go um the ramsdale yeah. one i didn't even actually consider um at all um, but yeah, like would you trust Carl Hine enough to be the no. backup? Yeah, no. Because it
1: yeah, you'd only have to play what one game. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Doesn't matter. No, I wouldn't I wouldn't. Uh if if I'm selling Aaron Ramsdale, I'm selling him in the summer. Okay. Um I am I am selling him when I have time to go get a you know, even if it's a Matt Turner, uh seven million pound goalkeeper.
0: On January thirty first. 100 million for Aaron Ramsdale. You're yeah, still saying you can no for a
1: For 100 okay. million you can have him. Every player has a price. Yes. Aaron Ramsdale's is below 100 million, so if you <laughs> offer that, you can have him. Um but you know, I think the, the other the other hard thing about that is like you're one hundred million. you can't put 100 million in goal and stop any shots with that. So um you know, maybe it benefits you in the long term, but also like Arsenal are in a position where like they they they're, they're going to need those marginal results this season. They might need that uh, you know, there's a reason that we're still mad about the lines not getting drawn at Brentford. It's you know because it uh, impacts. It was three. It was a two point. That was a draw. That should have been a win. That so it's a two point impact, and that that has knock on effects and all that good stuff. So um, no, I'm not selling anybody that I have to replace. So I think that makes. Um, given that the midfield is kind of seemingly, according to reports, the priority, it makes Party an interesting option for sure. Um, you know, it's it's kind of an interesting landscape because. Although the narrative kind of depicts the Saudis as like paying over the odds on these fees like I'm not sure they actually do. Um I think Ruben, they've done like more in like some in of the, the wage transfers. Yeah, and the wages kind of uh, attracting like, Yeah. The wages are like these huge amounts but like you know Ruben, even Ruben Neva is going for I think it's 55 million pounds to uh I mean Al-Hilal. I always get the clubs all mixed up but um like I don't think if he had if signed Aston,
0: him, if it was Aston Villa instead of all along, I don't think that you would have like batted an eye saying like no. that's a massive overpay.
1: You would say like okay, that's that's a little bit of an overpay but then you look at like, I don't know Jordan Henderson, they paid $14 million for him. Like that's not that much. Uh, Fabinho, I think they paid like closer to 30
0: million. Some of the Chelsea buys that they bought from are a little bit on the like old and more yeah. expensive side, but like, again, like not like crazy, like money money laundering type of uh type no. moves. I think
1: as the summer went on, I felt, I felt less and less ardent about my, my Kula Bali, you know, take that, that, that was way too much. Um, But it was, it was a little inflated. So, I mean, maybe, maybe if you're looking at parties, like a potential 20 million pound sale, to, you know, a continental European club. Maybe, maybe that you can get 25 or something from the Saudis, maybe thirty. I don't know, but it's not like they're going to get like 90 million for him. So um, yeah, I think, I think he would make a lot of sense. I'm not, I'm, I'm like, I, I'm advising people left and right. Don't, don't pay any attention to this Juventus thing. They are not, they're not going to give Arsenal the amount of money that they need to move Thomas party out. They're going to, they're going to say, can we take him on a loan? uh with a buy option can we take him on a loan an 18 month loan with a buy option after that and then we'll pay you your your 50 million and uh 10 10 years <laughs> installments yeah uh like that's just how they try to do business and it's so f- annoying um so i just i'm not even going to get my hopes up for that because i think i think to actually move him arsenal need the money and they need it now like they, mm-hmm. they don't they don't this isn't like a player who needs to leave because, you know, he doesn't play or because he, you know, like somebody you might consider loaning out like here in tyranny, for example, this is not the same situation. Um, if he, if he leaves, it's, it's because there is a cash flow situation that needs to get corrected. So I don't, I just don't know if I really expect, I'm trying to like really temper my expectations for the January window. I don't know what to believe, you know, FFP information isn't exactly public. People are you know, there are there are people who are smart and who can break it down, um, but makes like
0: informed kind of decisions, but not full perfect decisions.
1: No. And and that's where it all gets kind of cloudy. So, um, you know, people have told me that that it's public and it, it's not. We don't know exactly. We, we know the components of it, but we don't know exactly how. And the thing
0: that we do know is generally 12 to 18 months behind, right? So the the latest financials that the teams have posted are from the previous season. So we don't know the current situation of the club and the current situation of the club is kind of what matters here. So again, like we can make informed choices about what happens there. But the stuff that we're at right now is not perfect.
1: And it's been it's been for me it for me personally it's been reported reliably enough that Arsenal have kind of like an FFP obstacle right now. Um, when you look at the Raya stuff, enough credible people said that that was a loan for FFP reasons. Um, and and you know we've as as we've been linked to everyone from Douglas Louise to Ivan Tony for the for the January window, it's pretty consistently come with Arsenal would need to sell to make this happen. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's that's why I'm just I'm just trying not to get too far ahead of myself. The good thing is that you know I don't think Arsenal have a ton of glaring issues in the squad right now. I think most of them are like, well, you know, Kai Havertz could be doing more as the left eight. Um, you know, some guys, Urian Timber is hurt um, more like that than like there is no player that does this. Uh, so you know, it's not the it's not the worst position to be in, but. Um I'm I'm not exactly dying to get rid of players with the with yeah. the team, at least not guys that have any value. Exactly. Cedric so well, that, in 10 million.
0: <laughs> no, he's not. I, I think you'd have to pay him to leave at this point. Yeah, you would. You would. Um so now that we've solved our uh funding of the players, if you had to pick, I guess, a, a spot to actually invest those funds in, where's you where are you ranking the the options of where you want to, to try to yeah. get some strength? This is I go a, against the, the, the t- tougher one, and we'll probably write about this uh, a lot more in the the coming months.
1: Yeah, I I go way against the grain on this. Um, okay, I I would I would want a right sided defender. Mm, I think that's okay. Arsenal, I think that's Arsenal's biggest need. I think um, you know all, we we made a, a huge emergency out of this um, at the end of the summer window when Timber was hurt, and our, it was like Arsenal need to sign somebody. You know there are only six defenders. Well you know here we are it's november we're almost to the january window and we've weathered it with the six defenders but um i think that even even just long term i think that there is a hole there um yeah cuz 7 for 4 is still a little light yeah and i you know what to be honest i can roll with 7 to 4 i think that i think the issue for me is a little bit more that a couple of the seven are a little bit you know questionable in terms of their reliability i do like like I do, I do appreciate Tommy being able to be a potential like central center back backup for Saliba. But I think that the issue is, um, you know, if, if, uh, you pick up a knock on either fullback and then Saliba is also hurt, like we saw last season, I think you start to get really kind of dire straits really fast. So I would like one more Preferably for me, he's somebody who can play right center back um, and maybe also right back. There are a few guys out there that, that come to mind, um, but I, I just think that's a much bigger priority than adding. Uh, I think that would be a lot more impactful than adding another midfielder, unless party leaves, mm-hmm. or especially adding a striker. Every like every Twitter account says Arsenal need to sign a striker in January. I'm going to be honest with you, I don't see that
0: I, I at to all. Me like that is like the lowest actually of all of my priorities. I think right yeah. now, a, a player that actually just came to my mind as I was kind of thinking of like what positions I would like to, to transfer or, you know, be able to, to kind of fund things. I think if somebody came in with a decent offer for Fabio Vieira, I think yeah. that that's one that Arsenal would take and potentially reinvest into the same position. Um, to be able to try to like maybe you know just kind of cut our loss on that one it's and i think so i was listening to the arsenal vision podcast the other day and i think elliot nailed this kind of right it's that fabio vera is not a bad player um he has like very obvious like skills like he is a highly highly skilled player Mm -hmm. i just don't think it's worked right at arsenal and like sometimes that happens like it's not necessarily that Arsenal even missed on this transfer. Like I think no. if you watched the, the scouting, you looked at the stats, like everything, you know, said that this guy looks really good. And even when you watch him at Arsenal, like he has had moments of like, wow, like this guy does some special stuff. It's just perhaps not been consistent enough. And so I don't know. I think I'm at the point where we've had almost 18 months with him, and I think that he's at the end of his rope of being able to kind of prove it to be able to do it. Um, it it doesn't help that he just earned himself a three match ban to be able to, to not be able to play being able to do things. So I don't know. I think that's another one that's kind of on my list and a player that I think a, a position that I would
1: look to invest in. I don't think you're wrong for that. I think, I think you could. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Fabio backer, but I think that, I think that there's something to that idea that, um, You know, has has he reached kind of like his apex in terms of being useful to Arsenal without them committing further to him, and and would that be detrimental to the club as a whole, like the the results and things like that? Maybe. I mean, I think, I think in the sense that he was brought in to be a capable Odegaard deputy, I think I think Mm -hmm. that's been successful. Um, If if it were Odegaard who had just picked up the three match ban. Um, and we had to roll with Fabio for a couple games. Like, I I feel fine with that, mm-hmm. but I think you know I wouldn't be excited about it, but I'd be fine. Uh but I think it's it's also kind of things have evolved into kind of an interesting place now, where this we've got kind of this midfield carousel where, you know, if Odegaard misses time, Havertz can slide over there, and maybe Rice. Maybe the idea isn't that he is going to be left eight most of the time, but then, but he can play the left eight for that, for that game or left six, whatever you want to call it. And then Jorginho can pop in or you can play Fabio. Yeah, if,
0: and, you know, if, if Partey had been healthy, right. I think that makes it a lot easier kind of a transition, you know, party just steps up and you need to move rice and then you, you got a, a perfectly, you know, functional, very good midfield.
1: Right. Exactly. So, so I think, I think you could definitely argue Fabio, um, you know, leaving and I, it, from, from like the player's perspective, I know there were people saying that Arsenal need to loan him out, um, which, you know, in terms of like getting him some playing time, that is correct, but it wouldn't have any benefit for Arsenal to do that. So, you know, I wouldn't, but if, if somebody, you know, if somebody wants to approach the transfer fee that they Arsenal paid for him, sure, go ahead. I mean, and if that's what he wants, then yeah, power to you, man. Go, yeah, go even taking a like a, a
0: slight loss on it, right? Like if somebody gets within like, you know, to 75% of the fee that Arsenal paid,
1: you'd yeah, probably like take that. Million. I'd probably take 25 million for him. Yeah. And
0: then you know, just kind of thinking through like the actual positions, like I think striker, I think we're both in agreement that I, I think we're fine there. I think that's actually probably Arsenal's like massive strength, unless we sell like obviously somebody from there, right? If we sell Eddie and Kedia, maybe then it becomes more of a problem. But I think even there still, right? If it was, you know, Gabrielle, Trissard Havertz as the three, that's a, a strong three. Potentially um, Martinelli fine with it. Yeah. Um, left wing, I feel pretty confident in what we have there. Right, you, you think you know Martinelli Trissard Smith Rowe Nelson, Nelson all being yeah. on the the left. Uh, right wing, a little less, but I think that's one that's really hard to handle in the winter. Like I don't think you're going to get um, a big kind of it's an expensive deal there. Um, for the quality yeah. I think that Arsenal would want to be able to to get at right wing. Um, I think if, yeah. if you say that might be something that, you know, you're short, but I thought, you know, Gabriel Jesus did really well against Metro City, filling in to the right. Um, I think it would be an interesting thought to think, all right, well, maybe you stick Kai Havertz um, potentially on the right. You know, he'd play it very differently than what Bakayo Saka does, but mm-hmm. I think that there's a, enough in a pinch that you could cover for Saka. And, you know, Saka always plays, so it really doesn't matter. Um, even no. if he's you know down to like ten percent fitness, you know Bukai Saka plays ninety bench, minutes.
1: No, never bench Saka. That's my stance.
0: Um, the midfield, I think everybody has an opinion about um, where things yeah. kind of are at. the The eights, um, maybe. I guess again, the right deal kind of comes through. Maybe there's something there. I think at six we're. Totally fine. Um, very healthy, looking good. Um, I don't think there's a a better three at defensive midfield in the Premier League, right? I don't think anybody's got better than Rice, Party, Jorginho. Jorginho being third choice is you know kind of mind boggling quality to be able to to fall back onto.
1: Yeah, I can you. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. I mean, it's it's it kind of sucks for me the way that the the conversations about, you know, the direction the conversations take when these players like Enkedia and Jorginho are called upon to play all these minutes. And I'm like, well, they're, they're not doing it because we have selected them to play that all that time. <laughs> like, I guarantee you this, that Mikel Arteta's plan for the season was not start Jorginho like seven games in a row in October and November. I guarantee you that's not what he wants to do. So yeah, but he's, I mean, thing about Jorginho is I think you know we saw this when when Arsenal acquired him Um, I think that yeah he's got he's got like warts and defects and everything like that he's got weaknesses but god if they're not exaggerated they're exaggerated so much and yes he does he does have games that are not that good but I think that consistently he's given you like so much better than a typical even backup number six could give you like we're we're only a season and a half or two seasons removed from El being the backup in that position, and El actually pretty good too, but he's not as good as Jorginho. No, absolutely not. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's crazy. I think he's I think he's been a really good signing, honestly, for twelve million pounds. Really good signing. Absolutely, yeah. I
0: mean, you know, you think about when Arsenal were in eighth place, El was fine to be the third choice backup. Um, and I think right, you kind of think of where Arsenal are at now. Like, um, I think solidly top three teams. So yeah, Jorginho is really really nice to be able to have as the third choice uh, at, at his yeah. position and then i think you, you you nailed it kind of like in the defensive line like i think that you know if we had to go do like our backup in any of those positions it feels fine but if there's another injury now in somewhere in there like that gets really nervy really quick um we saw that you know last weekend right uh ben white was out and um, it started to get kind of ugly back there to kind of think about what might have happened um, if we needed to call on somebody else. So yeah, yeah, I think that. But it's it's a tough one where like we just brought in Timber. Um, he might be able to come back at the end of the year. So it's like you only have to ride for four to six months of being yeah. able to do it. So it's a, a tough one. So maybe you it's a, it almost lower months already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Knock on I think that's
1: why I look at like center back, Um center back with the ability to flex out if needed. Just because, I mean, technically, I think Saliba has a little bit of the ability to flex out if needed. But you know, I'd rather play him centrally. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't think anybody wants to take Saliba out of the
0: central role where like no. he is just like per-
1: perhaps the best player in the Premier League at his position. It's he's he's in the running. Uh, yeah, it's. But I think I think that's that's why I go center back is because once you start to kind of do like the long term squad building puzzle, you've got Ben White, Zinchenko, Tomiyasu, Timber. I would extend Tomiyasu if he can make through the season healthy, and that gives you four like really good choices for fullback who are all going to need time. Tomiyasu can play inside as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that Timber is a center back in the Premier League. I just I don't think that I don't think that's going to happen, even though he was. Basically, you know, ninety percent of the time a center back at Ajax. So then I'm then I'm just looking at like yeah, your center backs are basically Kiwi are part of the time, Gabrielle and Saliba, and if Tomiyasu comes inside, so be it. But so I think long term you can use another center back and make it four, especially yeah. with the Champions League and everything.
0: And, and I know there's some rumors of you know Kivior you know being a, of interest as well for teams to want to pick him up on loan. But I think. There's no way the number the 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 numbers do not work with him leaving. Um, he is too important for the depth to be able no. to actually be able to handle
1: it. And I think he's
0: played fairly well when he's been called upon here. I think he's been um, I know, think he's been
1: a good signing for twenty yeah. for twenty five million pounds, like in a January window from Spezia. I think what can your expectations reasonably be? I think that was a great January, honestly. Um, you look at what Arsenal could have ended up with, with Mudric and Caicedo and you look at what they did end up with. And I think, I think it worked out very well. So.
0: Absolutely. Um, on that positive note, I think that's a, a good spot to, to end it. Um, we'll have to talk about what, what comes next week with uh, the American Thanksgiving um, going on, but we'll we'll try to see if we can schedule a, a way to, to talk about things before Arsenal go to Brentford or do we have Brentford at home. Uh, I don't have the, the Homer away here written down on my calendar, but Arsenal have Brentford it is on the at Brentford at Brentford at the GTEch community stadium. Um, the great G tech community stadium.
1: Yeah, that should be, that should be a relatively tough game. I mean, they didn't, they played, I think the, 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 the score line last time out for them, which was against Liverpool three nil um, did not exactly tell the full story of that game.
0: No, um, it, it, yeah, I was looking at the XG and the XG. I think Brentford might have. It was at least close. I don't, I, it was, I don't remember off yeah. the top of my
1: head. It was close. I mean, Brentford, I think, got a pretty solid portion of it more toward the end, but it was pretty they close. They Had some chances
0: 15. when it was yeah when the game was close. They had some chances, and you know, I think they're they're certainly missing Ivan Tony, who will be apparently um, signing a new deal with them. So um, as we all know that that'll just probably heat up the, the arsenal transfer rumors even more um, for him to be able to, to come here.
1: We will, we will be talking about Ivan Tony uh, signing for arsenal until the day that they put him in the ground.
0: Absolutely. Right. It's like the other great transfer ones of all time. Like this is one that'll never, ever, ever, ever go away put them up there with
1: Yulian Draxler and guys like that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All the, those ones. Um, Yeah. So if you, if you enjoyed the episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe, consider leaving a rating, a review those things all help to, to get uh, more visibility on the algorithms and all those kinds of things. Um, You can stay up to date with everything that we do. Uh, We're canon stats on all of the, the social medias. Um, Adam, this has been a, a good conversation for an international break. Um yeah, you know, hopefully you have a, a nice weekend
1: um watching all of these very, very important international games, right? I mean we're we're within an hour of England Malta and I am just I'm very nervous. So <laughs> the, the, no the excited in that lineup.
0: Awesome. For what it's worth. Good, right? Yeah. Everybody gets a, a little bit of a break. I think we can all appreciate that. Um yeah, we'll talk to you on the next one. Uh cheers, y'all.